Welcome to The Uncertain Artist, where each week we discuss the highs and lows of carving out a life in the arts, specifically the collaborative arts, and mostly here in Seattle. Our starting point each week is an episode of the YouTube show, The Uncertain Detective, which was created by me, Greg Lashow, and I'm joined by our show's writing and story consultant, Joe Guppy. Today, we'll be discussing episode four from our first season with our guest, Charlie Rathbun, who has a key role in season so, Joe, did you get a chance to rewatch episode four? Yes, I did, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Ooh, it was nice. really, really cool. And I, it was kind of a, a surprise for me because I'd forgotten. Because normally you hate, hate, hate the show. No, no, no. Not, <laughs> no, the surprise is uh, not that I enjoyed the show because I usually, and I always do, actually. Uh, the surprise was realizing, oh, that's the episode where I give the big checkoff speech Ooh. as the character of Michael. Yeah. You will hear that. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to ask you more about the episode, but I wasn't going to say this to you today, but um, I was putting together uh, our episode with Sue Corcoran mm -hmm. and um, our sponsors, The Allegro, and I put together a few uh, scenes that I had shot in The Allegro, right. and I grabbed one, and this woman goes to sit down across from this guy, and it's you. <laughs> I had completely forgotten that you were in the movie, and you looked—you look like you, but younger. It was exciting for me. What yeah. you're talking about a film that you did? Money buys happiness. Really? You don't remember either? Oh, thank God! I was like, <laughs> yes, I have that poster on my wall. And look at everything. Uh, no, I—you don't that, remember either. That is hilarious. Oh. No, I, the other day, just yesterday. <laughs> I, I was looking at almost live clips for my comedy writing class and I showed one at Nancy. Have you seen it? And she like, I have no memory yeah. whatsoever of shooting okay. that bit, you know? Um, <laughs> so anyway, it happened. It was exciting to see you and a big shock. And, well, and and I'm when, still and, glad and, you and, don't remember either. Well, no, I, you know, I have a, a, a fade in memory. So, oh. so when you remind me, I go, huh? And then, and now Allegro, funny by happiness is kind of, it's coming yeah, back yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, anyway. Uh, but that was a great, uh, fun movie and a good movie. And um, so, in my fade in memory of episode four, yeah, I I don't remember all what's in it, but I remember thinking, "Ooh, this is a really good episode." Does mm -hmm. it hold up? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. One of the, does it start? Well, I was going to say one of the one of the strongest scenes is the way it starts with uh, you you you're editing, but then you and Megan are doing. Uh, dubbing the voices, oh, yeah. really cool. And you you repeatedly go over. Uh, um, he'd kill us if he got a chance, or he'd, he'd kill me if he got a chance. From the conversation, and so we're okay. Yeah, let's yeah. let's play that. We're dubbing yeah. Megan Murphy and me. Uh, we're dubbing a scene, and uh, Megan's trying to get it right, and Greg's getting exasperated at her efforts. That's how I remember. That's yeah, how that's it. it. So let's listen to that. You travel back in time. There's a danger you could affect the future. Now you've got paradox problems. But I want to change the future. I don't want to be a murderess. Look, you're moving your lips. You're mouthing my lines. What? No? Am I? Yeah, you are. But I want to change the future. I don't want to be a murderess. Even oh if it was God, justifiable. I've got to stop doing that. Oh, okay, no one will notice. Yeah. Do I have to say murderous? Can I just say murderer? Well, that's not what she says. Ready? Go. If you travel back in time, there's a danger you'll change the future, and now you've got paradox problems. But I want to change the future. 
I don't want to be a murderess, even if it was justifiable homicide, because he'd kill me if he got the chance. He'd kill me if he got the chance. Kill me if he got the chance. He'd kill me if he got. He'd kill me if he got the chance. Like in that kill. movie, what was that movie? They're walking around. He'd kill us if he got the chance. He'd kill us. The conversation. Oh, conversation. Remember? Right. Yes. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. All right. Go for it. Ready? Yes. He'd kill me if he got the chance. Hmm. Kill me if he got the chance. Ready? Go. Take a breath. Mm -hmm. Kill me if he got the no. chance. <laughs> kill me. Because they're walking around. It's like he'd kill us if he got the chance to kill him. Kill us if he got the chance, and that's how you know. That's what they do in the conversation. Right. And once he hears he'd kill us if he got the chance, chance. then you know that the Right. No, I know, I got it. I got it. Okay. One second. Hit me. Kill me. <clears throat> He'd kill me if he got the chance. Good. All right, one more scene. Watch her. Ready? What are you looking for, detective? You know what I'm looking for. A working time portal. It's our last hope. No, detective. What are you looking for? What are your dreams? I try not to have dreams while I'm on a case. I stick to facts and clues. What happened? When did it happen? Where did it happen? How about why did it happen? Why did I kill my husband, detective? That's what I'm trying to figure out, Anna. Why did you kill your husband? If I tell you it was for love, would you believe me? Would you, detective? That's kind of fun. Yeah, it is fun. What I enjoyed about it is I don't think either one of you ever got, he, he'd kill me He'd kill me if he got the chance. We never quite hit it, right? No, he never quite hit it right, in my opinion, um, which, which is very funny, actually. There aren't too many people that I worry about doing a scene with because I might laugh. I, I, that was definitely the case there. Yeah. Right. We had to do many, many takes because I, I just kept laughing at, the, at what she was doing. Yeah. It, it it is it's funny scene yeah 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 greg um, greg latchow humor at its best if i may say so uh, that, that's sweet uh but it's really megan murphy humor well that's true too um absolutely and and uh this is the episode where we introduce charlie rathman's character mm -hmm. right um yep. so i'll introduce charlie uh, but i'll start by saying so i uh you know i'm i'm writing scripts for for the first episode of the next season and i'm editing these podcasts and and i'm so sick of looking at myself and uh last night i was like fuck it i, I can't do this like it, i'm you know you're ready and to quit charlie walked in the room today and i have to say i just got instantly like mm. oh reinvigorated i love that i get to talk with you so welcome charlie rathman thanks Thank for you. being here <laughs> um yeah i'm so excited be, because uh well we go way back um and uh yeah i have a bunch of stuff i 
thought about talking about. We'll see where where we go. Yeah, but I, but yeah. I hate to jump in right yeah, away with this. This, this may be possibly competitive stuff. But did, how far back do you go with him compared to me, Good which question. is like 19? Me is like like early 80s for sure. I think uh, or even more further. Joe beat me. I yeah. think so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I first met you. Were you managing director of the New City? Manager. Yeah. Manager yeah, of the tried New to City avoid Fair. lots of uh, extrapolation yeah. on. So I need to start us out. Like, how did how did you come to be at New City and in Seattle? Um, more or less without really planning or meaning to, but uh, it was really a move. I think John Kazanjan was so the John Kazanjan, the great artistic director mm -hmm. of the late Lament the New City New Theater, City. Well, right? him. Uh, who we worked back in New York with, uh, my wife Nina. Moser, also part of this our, cost, our, our art director as many of the episodes. Uh, worked together with John and actually his wife Mary back in uh, Williamstown Theater Festival for one. Williamstown, uh, that's right. Yes. And then in New York City and they came out ahead of us. They were, uh, Mary had a job at the Empty Space Theater. John came with her. They started looking around and ended up um, landing the directorship of the, at the time, I think it was called the Conservatory Theater. Mm -hmm. CTC. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then called us in New York and, uh, so that was said, a you leap, won't... that was a leap of faith for you. Too. Yes. Said, you won't believe this, but we have a theater here. Uh, and New York at the time was kind of a struggle. Uh, so we threw all of our possessions, earthly possessions along with, uh, our dog, Jesse and, <laughs> and our Volkswagen rabbit. And, uh, it across the country yeah. you you were always like you know you were there before me kind of thing and i am a very much like a hierarchical when it comes to that like mm -hmm. whoever comes in the room first is the leader mm -hmm. kind of thing so I, you're always like i'm trying to picture you now as the young person you were right mm -hmm. like what a what an exciting adventure <laughs> I, yes. to, I was yeah. i was thinking about that uh also earlier uh because uh you know I, and i want to give props to Charlie and to John because they the New City Theater became kind of the home base for off the wall players yeah, right. and uh that's right. and and that's where we did like our best shows and our yes. longest running shows and and you guys were just so supportive it was fantastic uh but I was thinking about that, how young we were and how young you you must it was have a been a long time ago you know <laughs> but it does, does so does it yeah. feel like another life or does it feel like several several, several lives other yeah, lives mm. yes I mean, that's one interesting thing about being here in seattle and for so long and working in different capacities with this community and, um, it feels like generations and from we'll talk more about some of the other capacities that you were in but um from this vantage point or from the last few years vantage point could a new city theater happen here is there a new city theater? like so for those who don't know at new city in any given year uh there would be multiple plays there'd be a dance festival a playwrights festival a director's festival a film festival i created the late night club there there was the jazz the earshot jazz festival was there i mean it was just a a thriving collaborative yeah home. yeah could, yeah. is there such a thing now in in town or could there be do you think or i don't know why obstacles? not i mean you know, it's just a matter of the right personalities. And um, I mean, the economy certainly 
supported that and was easier then. And I think New City provided, and this is, you know, of course, a lot uh, hat off to, to Kazanjan. Um, I mean, coming to town as East Coast newbies, having a space, uh, but knowing nobody and having no money, mm -hmm. it was a natural uh, process of just reaching out to the community and opening the mm -hmm. doors and saying, uh, you know, who's out there and who, who would like to do something. And it, it ended up generating, I think, a lot of these uh, new things like the jazz festival and the playwright festival and that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, sorry, let me just ask you to move a little because you keep hitting that that uh, piece of tape and it's shaking the, oh, thank it's you. Shaking the camera. Just move your chair over just slightly. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> I knew I was going to have jiggly green. Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead, Joe. Well, I was going to say, and you, you, I'm think, I'm sure you could, uh, you have your own story about the late night club, but you know, for off the wall players, it it felt like we'd found uh, a home uh, in, yeah. in, a, in a mutual artistic sensibility. I mean, we had played other clubs, we played other theaters, which were, were were terrific, but there was something about what you guys were doing at New City Theater that worked for what we were doing. There, right. it seemed like a match, and I, I don't know how to describe what that is but it feels like late night company was the late night club was the same kind of sensibility is there a way that you would describe what was going on there artistically well i actually think um it was a very fertile time in seattle uh i think for the talent that was there and it's small enough but big enough that there was a lot of stuff going on and collaboration going on already the venue itself was actually a wonderful venue yeah, for the intimacy of it. If you remember, it was mm. 150 seats, but it was a very horizontal setup. So it was built as a residential home that became a funeral home or built as a funeral home? Well, the, the part that was the theater was actually built as a, a funeral parlor. Parlor, right. Funeral well, but, home, but what that means. <laughs> prior to that, it had been a wonderful four-unit, you know, wonderful oh. early century four-unit apartment complex mm -hmm. and then they added the box onto it mm -hmm. which became the rehearsal hall and the, the theater space and so, well the, i remember the seats came kind of at an angle and then the straight seats in the angle yeah. so it was kind of we weren't it wasn't in the round but you felt as a performer that the audience was kind of all all around i mean you, you weren't more than four rows or four right. five rows away from the stage and i remember um you did show what was it everything you wanted to know about sex or something yeah like that. yeah 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 it was uh, a, i'd rather have sex without you <laughs> yeah i'd rather have sex without you yeah and linda berry memory linda berry did the poster for us oh uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and but the, the the stage was painted in this orange sort of semicircular gumdrop effect mm -hmm. um and it was a very shallow stage so mm -hmm. you know it forced you upon the audience and it forced the audience upon you and so it was great for uh, a lot of that type of yeah and sadly that building was torn down mm -hmm. was yeah. sold to the richard hugo house in part it was torn down they got a great or they got a venue out of it a new venue but they're now having a lot of trouble mm. just a little a mistake to tear it down but i guess what are you going to do yeah it's all about real estate i think and now, real estate. one of the reasons i think it was such a open collaborative place was you have a mindset charlie of um so you're you're you you love to celebrate good work you love to seek out good work you love the idea that people are working together and helping get stuff 
done. You're very non-hierarchical. Like you're, you just have an attitude that encourages collaborative work and you get excited sort of ground up. Does that, does that sound like I'll you? That. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. And how did that, like, how did you, were you always that way? I mean, that's a very unusual way uh, to be. You know, I, I came into, I think the art were all the arts themselves. I mean, I've always, of course, had music, read literature, inspired to be something. But theater was something that came much later to me. And in fact, in New York, after post college, and it was my wife Nina, who was a design student at the time at NYU, and we had this, this wonderful ticket, ticket. Mm -hmm. things in New York where you could drop into anything for two two dollars and mm -hmm. uh, that's where I encountered and fell in love with theater at the time which was also the apex of um, contemporary theater in New York at the time and it was, you were seeing the Wooster group and places Mabu Mines and these yeah. European companies and it just blew my mind and mm -hmm. I just thought there's nothing better than this yeah you know? yeah um, so, and of course, it is the most collaborative art form. Um, I think it's, uh, ironically, I think theater is also the most challenging art form in terms of its um, here today, gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. term you get yeah, that. The, the, that one night performance, that's, that's that night's yeah. performance. That show, that yeah, yeah. production, that yep. time, that company, that it's all here yeah. today, it's all gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And you somehow know in the middle of all this that it is going to be gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, and even though that you knew that was going to happen, it doesn't make it mm -hmm. any easier. And it doesn't make the work any easier. Um, that, that, difficulty that realization is built in to the process of, of creating and attending theater mm -hmm. yes it's like the human condition it's like we're yeah. aware we're going to die yes okay now deal with it we are gone tomorrow <laughs> yeah, yeah. nothing left. well isn't there it, it seems like there's nothing or there's other things perhaps i was going to say like going to war maybe that may be a poor 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 example but but the yeah very poor example i apologize cut that but, out yeah cut that out please uh, but just the bonding that takes place amongst the the team i guess uh, yes. in, in a theater production it's pretty extraordinary maybe sports teams would be a, a comparable thing actually which... waitering restaurant work <laughs> ah yeah is, uh, okay absolutely gravy's, night, gravy's you know, in, the, in the restaurant Amen uh, to that. it felt very much like that you know, and yeah. you throughout to have retained this love of live performance yes. i try to engage you sometimes in movies yes. you're just yes. not that interested really. no i still lament <laughs> the turn you took yeah the, yeah the, the the theater that you created here and the not just your own but the the, the world of the, the that you created and collaborations that you created were um, you know still you know among the best we've got here so i would return to it if i felt supported like it i can do unsupported work in film for whatever mm -hmm. reason like i can create this structure and make the films happen the idea of doing that in theater i for whatever reason i've lost the steam well, like i can't if i had why. some organization yeah why i mean you I have something know. to show for it at the end of this uh, maybe you talk about the film yeah. yeah yeah or the or the youtube series but all your you know life you sweat and blood with nothing else into this mm -hmm. at the end of it you at least have something in your hand yeah, yeah. that's true um 
yeah, the last mm. two things we did the- theatrically, Megan and I did Man Who Can Forget Anything, which I've talked about before. And, you know, we got to like 75% of what it was eventually going to become. And then there was no opportunity to continue to work on it. And that was that was hard. It was painful. And then Megan went and made a piece on, on her own, a short piece. Um, same thing, like could have been great, just never got, you know, and you can only do it yourself so much. You're talking about theater pieces. That theater pieces. Really, uh, yeah. You know, and the, there was a time when it was just get it up and, and learn from it and then make a new thing and get that up, you know, learn, like be a vaudevillian, you know, like just learn. And now it's harder for me to do that. I would guess for Megan as well. We've got to a certain level of ability and we don't want to just do the next thing. We want to mm-hmm. polish. And that's very time and money intensive and hard to do. And you have to yeah. have that structure. You don't have to, but if you're not young, it's hard to do without a, a structure underpinning. I don't know. I mean, that's, I haven't thought about this, but um, I mean, maybe if the danger, future of theater is endangered in any way, and I've never thought it was, I've always thought there will always be theater, no matter how much we try to kill it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it is endangered, it might be the uh, it might be film that actually ends up being the demise of theater because that's one thing that never theater never had to worry about. People were going to go leave the theater to go make a movie. Uh, I mean, you had. So when I am working in film, are you feeling like I'm threatening? You're kill, you're killing theater. Well, right? not, not that I, I you know what I mean. I'll stop. I don't have any power. Well, you know, like I said, I haven't thought about that. Yeah. I haven't thought this through, but uh so I have this new idea. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what you think of this. So when I did the film company, our end goal was to get distribution. And then that would return money and then you could make more work, right? So that was the focus, as it is with any independent filmmaker, not any, most. And now I have this idea of, well, maybe the focus should be the the end result is we're in a theater, we're screening it, and we're all together. Mm, and so much more like what the Seattle Rep does or what a nonprofit theater is interested in doing, the be all and end all is the show. And you're not really thinking about how does it return investors money. And so this is my new thinking of maybe trying to make that happen again. And are you are you realizing that thinking in the? I'm starting the, to talk to a few people. Well, well, I'm, but we we have this thing scheduled at the. Yeah, this is almost like a trial run in okay. a way yeah. at, the, at the film center. I don't know. Uh, but back to Charlie. So, uh, uh, actually, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nancy always about reminds me about clarity. Uh, maybe, maybe we shouldn't leave the the listener just hanging. What are we talking about about the film the film center uh oh thank you so season three episode one and someone asked me so wait if i haven't seen the first two seasons no you could just start fresh uh episode one will be playing uh at the sif film center so that'll be the first time for this show that we get an audience response and you know be in the room with an audience that'll be really exciting and And, and what's the date of that february 26 7 p.m when the podcast will be um recorded live afterwards yeah um so, Charlie, you have been someone who, in a variety of ways, has helped this performance work get done. Um, t- talk t- to us a little bit. Just fill us in on on some of the other roles that you played in, in town. Well, uh, the, uh, the art program of the 
King County Arts Commission, which I still <laughs> refer to that, but it's called Four Culture. It was King County Arts Commission, now yes. it's Four Culture. Uh, but uh, most for, one of the most fortunate turns in my life, the most fortunate turn is really ending up at the helm of the arts program for King County with funding to uh, distribute and enough uh, latitude and autonomy and initiative to actually be able to create programs and to be able to connect with the art world and um, at all levels and to navigate that. And I did that as as a public servant of myself and I take that role very seriously. I mean, I, I served all of King County. Yeah. Um, Getting work out, not just in Seattle, but throughout the county. Out to the county. Which is a pretty widespread area. Yes. And, uh, and then being able to uh, engage in a lot of the artistic community at whatever level it was at. Um, and so did, did you go out and actively recruit people that you could commission, like like find artists that maybe didn't know how to get funding and, and show them that they could or, be funded? Or create programs that allowed that kind of, then invited them and welcomed them. And mm -hmm. rewarded Very them welcoming. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then to uh, try to create partnerships. And a lot of it was partnerships. I mean, we have a number, you know, 39 cities in King County. And a lot of the cities have arts programs and arts commissions. And, uh, and some are very rural and some are very high-end suburban. And, um, and most of the art world to you know, professional level art world was really focused on Seattle itself. Um, so a lot of it was really trying to uh, create partnerships with those local cities and to create opportunities for them to get artists out there and work with artists. One of the program I'm maybe most proud of is site-specific, uh, I called it. And it really allowed artists to create whatever it was that they wanted to create at this particular moment, wherever they wanted to do it, whatever kind of a venue, and then to make, to create connections with cities who might want to host them, present them. And that, like, whatever they want approach, I don't think I ever applied for it, but my wife Megan did, and I think she did two site-specific pieces, and I can vouch that you're welcoming do what you want like how do i want to put this the the emphasis sort of the center was what the artist wanted to make not in a selfish way but we're we're as a community most likely to benefit if we let the artist create from scratch what they feel is the best way to go so there are very few like restrictions and you have to this and you must that it was very like open arms tell us what you're going to do kind of feel do is that well and your wife's production there were two of them she did two and they right, yeah. are still among some of the most favorite things i've ever seen or witnessed i mean just, yeah they're pretty they fantastic yeah spectacular but you would come back uh i would see you you know at home come back from this or that and and you would paint a picture of something you'd seen that was right. usually a site-specific work and you were just glowing and and made it seem like the greatest thing yeah uh, it was a wonderful to, to see. I, I want to ask you uh, a kind of a general, uh, almost political question. I mean, I think you know how I stand on this, but I want to ask the question sort of bluntly. What uh, What do you say to 
people of a political persuasion that might say, hey, the, you know, the government should be fixing potholes and the, why why are we funding art? That's a waste of money. How, how do you respond to that attitude? Yeah. Well, you know, fix the potholes for what uh, reason? Um, and of course, more compelling question might be around homelessness or poverty or hunger and things like that. And, mm -hmm. uh, and yes, government should be involved in addressing that. But I also think we need to have some place to go as a society. I think art can actually be a healing, um, inspiring, um, even morally uh, inspiring thing that does bring us together, creates community, and makes us more aware of our humanity uh, along the way. And um, so I think it has a very critical role in all of that. Mm -hmm. Reminds me a little you'll you'll help me fill in the blank but i remember you were i think you were like interviewing for executive director or something at a venue and they asked you for like what you might do and you said some possible things and they said well i mean it's a brand new venue and you know it might be potentially dead and you said well the way I remember the story is you said, well, you could just put a padlock on the doors and never let anyone in, and that would solve the problem. Does that sound? Am I sort of remembering that story, I right? I know the venue. Yeah, we don't have to name it. Yeah. I love that story. Don't want to dirty the rug. Don't want to dirty the rug, yeah. yeah. Gosh. Yeah, that's been a great ride. And uh, so other ways that I know you are musically. Um, uh trying to remember oh well so i think the first time we must have collaborated in late night club days one way or the other but the first time i had you in a film was at the right was in the wright brothers right uh, you played Ruchel right yeah <laughs> good good memory and uh not only were you terrific in your scene but i don't maybe you can recall how this came about but we got you to play piano in a scene a little boogie woogie. Yeah. Do you recall anything about that? I certainly that? do. Yeah. yeah. What, what, did I just say? I mean, tell me something. Well, I, I, I think I just created some little riff that uh, you put in there, which was great. Yeah, and the odds are pretty good that I heard you playing and went, "Ooh, that's." I think that was right. Yeah, and yeah. you're playing, and your your brother Orville Wright, who's played by Megan Murphy, um, is dancing to yeah. beautiful actually, <laughs> and the music's yeah. Since then, I've asked you to record songs for the show. Yes. Um, and I recently sent you an email about yes. a Stanley Brothers and song. I'm working on that. Oh, you are? I'm excited by that, yeah. And it, I think I want to just point out specifically yes. that in episode five, which is which is sort of the, the follow-through from episode four, not surprisingly, yeah. and Charlie has this terrific uh, scene as part of the Uncertain Detective uh, plot line, with with uh, your son Charlie being the detective and Izzy uh, as the assistant detective. Anyway, wonderful, wonderful scene, uh, wonderful plot twist. And anyway, the whole thing ends with 
playing that the song yeah. that you and uh, Maggie did. Well, and you, it was you know I I my uh, you know my medium is sort of folk and country music. Mm-hmm. Um, Carter, aka Carter. Family. Yeah, you probably introduced the Carter family to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so Blue Eyes was yeah. the one that it's a beautiful rendition. And, um, and I, it has off to Jack Straw Studios that actually oh, yeah. uh, led us to the recording there, which was fantastic. Uh, but bringing Maggie along and bringing Maggie and her banjo along and the two of us together doing that song. And I still hear it. And I honestly start weeping. Yeah. I mean, so, so so, and then I emailed or I talked to Maggie about doing it with you again. Yeah. She's all game. Great. So uh, right. are we going to make that happen? Here we are. I'm, I'm putting well, you on the spot. I'm working on it. Yeah. That's my next. It's a terrific song, isn't it? It like, is a great, yeah. sweet song. Stanley yeah. Brothers. And yeah. I didn't know i really didn't know about that yeah which which song is this that you're um... this is called sweetest love okay yeah and uh, it's heartbreaking it's just great and they play it as an up-tempo bluegrass which i I, (laughs) charlie's working on trying to play we have a a, we laugh in our family uh, a number of years ago it became the thing to take a popular song on a tv show usually and slow it way down <laughs> and sing it so it had portentous meaning and it got like overboard i don't want to go that far mm. but i would like to actually hear the words well once you hear them i mean uh, they are terrific to get, but this uh, this needs to be really different get that out of my head yeah. and try to figure out the song itself yeah i love it oh i'm so excited <laughs> tuned to god nice yay <laughs> uh, yeah go well, i kind of want to ask you uh as the as the filmmaker the the use of music in the uncertain detective now now normally it's kind of in the background it's very effective very evocative but i don't know if this is the only case where you where there was a vocal song that kind of summed up the theme of the of the scene and it's, it's really very powerful so I'm trying to think of why i don't do that more the one obvious reason is money right to get uh to get uh license costs like more than in any of any one of my episodes in most cases yeah. i just can't afford it and i'm jealous of you know the easiest way to get your audience moving is to pop a song on and show your characters doing something mm-hmm. and suddenly you're moved because the music is so so powerfully mm-hmm. effective so the second reason i don't do it much is is um just avoiding a crutch, just trying mm-hmm. not to rely on that. I, I, I guess I had assumed that that old timey song was like public domain, but you had to pay. Uh, no, I'm court. I'm I'm pretending that that song is public domain because mm-hmm. it either. So that song is the Carter family, and and honestly, he took a song in the public domain, sure, changed a word or two, mm-hmm. and and slapped his their name on it. Now they popularized it; they're phenomenal. I'm not putting them down, but. It is an old, old song. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel bad about. It. Plus, I'm not making any money at this. You know, if the day comes that we yeah. sell the show and have to up, uh, uh, you know, re-up the rights, then we'll do that because mm-hmm. we'll have. Well, uh, uh, it, it does not seem like an easy gimmick in that episode when it ends that way. It's yeah, very partly. Moving, right? Yeah, partly. I've set it up. You know, I mm-hmm. tend to tend to put something about the song we're going to hear into an earlier episode not that anyone would connect it necessarily i mean you said to me once greg that sound is and music or whatever is the score is the most important part of the film the sound part is the most never forgotten that and anytime i see any movie now uh, i'm aware of what they're doing to us you know i just watched this movie 
Drive. Mm-hmm. First time have you seen that? I, I remind me, is it Ryan Gosling? It's Ryan Gosling. Yeah. So I'll watch anything he's in. He's so good. He's so funny, too. But anyway, um, it was recommended to you know, a few people. And I'll just say, I did not like it. Way, like, I don't understand why we have to show bad people having violent things happen to them. Like, I've seen it. Anyway, the opening scene is phenomenal. No dialogue. It's just him driving yeah he's he's a getaway music like if you if you watch that without the sound there'd be absolutely nothing like your meter would go up you know not at all and then with the sound it does it all it's really well done all right well we'll be right back with more this episode of the uncertain artist is sponsored by cafe allegro Located in the University District since 1975, the Allegro is Seattle's oldest espresso bar, one of the country's finest coffee roasters, and apparently a popular hangout for artistic muses. I've been sitting at the Allegro, working on one project or another, along with many others for decades. I've even filmed there on more than one occasion. The coffee is as good as it gets, and the vibes are inspiring, so grab a table and get to work. And we're back. Of course, there's always going to be a future. In the future, people will fly about in balloons. The cut of their clothes will be different. A sixth sense will be discovered, possibly even developed. Yet, life will be the same. A difficult life, full of mystery and happiness. And people will sigh and say, oh, how hard this business of living is. Yet, they will still be afraid of death and not want to die, just as they are now. Anton Chekhov. Three sisters. Love it. Mm. Love that play. Yeah. Yeah. You're so good at it. Thank you. So I um, often, in rehearsal with my theater people, um, would hear something, turn to someone and say, do that. Mm. I was always way more interested in stuff that would come out of rehearsal, not way more always, but I was often more interested in something that randomly happened in the moment. Like you're there and so you're receptive to whatever happens and somebody does this or that and you're like, oh, let's do that. And I do it in the show all the time. Uh, It's a normal thing. And it turns out it's very hard to do it again. Mm. (laughs) Um, So during the break, you were talking with Charlie about some interesting things and I said, save it and do it again uh, when we're actually recording. So go okay uh, <laughs> well we were talking <laughs> we were talking about that uh, insight that charlie brought up earlier about the difference between theater experience and film and the idea that the theater experience is is gone but but it's not uh, in that it lives within us it lives in our memories and i was just saying that when uh whether i'm talking to like charlie's like a producer i would say of of things that that i did at new city theater or i'm talking to another member of my company off wall players or especially running into uh an audience member or audience member who who saw a number of our shows and was kind of a part of our fan base there's this warmth and connection there that that is like nothing else and uh and and i don't know if it's because of the the evanescent quality that it was almost like a shared dream um, but it, it really is a powerful thing. I've noticed something more recently with, uh, I guess, comedy. Uh, and this may just be my coming into the game late, but uh, that, that comics tend to be doing a lot more 
playing off the audience. Mm. Interact, interact. It does seem like a thing now, yeah. Um, which is great. I mean, I think it's uh, difficult to do it well. Mm -hmm. um, but it also is, you know, uh, in infinitely variable, obviously. Or at least it feels that way. And, um, and I think it's a really nice exchange. I mean, you know, you have to imagine a comedian is constantly doing this in his head I mean, this, or their mm. head is like, I feel going throughout the day, you know, doing their monologue as they encounter the crazy world we live in. And, uh, and so to bring that type of process to the stage, and, and it's not that different from, uh, every night in the theater is a different night. Mm -hmm. It's a different audience. In fact, I remember from Thursday to Sunday, Every night right. had its own specific Absolutely. Uh, dynamic. Yeah. I remember that too. It'd so be like Friday night has a certain feel and Saturday yeah. night has a certain and feel. And it was quite consistent. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I am getting a knot in my stomach thinking about Saturday night audiences. <laughs> They're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and there was opening night, then there was the second night. Yeah, right. And the Sunday night, night was the yeah. best. <laughs> yeah. The second to the last night. Was That's always, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that way was the end. The, the second night was always like, look out. Yes, because, that's right. Yeah. So they, I'm thinking in terms of comedy of this thing that I I love. Um, so I've seen it done a few different ways. So recently I saw it with, it's I can't remember their name, but it's a rap show that Lin-Manuel Miranda mm, does. It's, it's, it's improv. Yeah, it's all improv. Yeah. Your field there. Yeah. But one of the things they do, I guess this is an improv thing, uh, and this uh person me who is an improv doubter loves this so i in the show i saw and i think they do it every night they would have someone stand up and talk about some problem that had happened to them in the past mm. and then they would rewind it and act it out with them on stage all improv in a kind of way that like got them over the hump of the problem it was so moving and it was a great was like, that was yeah. a great show that was a I really good enjoyed show. that <laughs> beautiful <laughs> actually yeah so let me just pause it yes yeah, yeah uh because i'm thinking well film could never do that yeah but now we have ai okay film maybe could do that <laughs> are you are you advancing the idea that ai is a good thing <laughs> Potentially, well, I don't know if anything's good or bad. Yeah, you mean uh, AI in in real time uh, interacting? AI and, oh. and film do interactive. Oh, playback. I'm just thinking this is only <laughs> tangential, but Charlie, who you know loves theatrical performances, and will will sit you down and talk about something you saw and make you wish you were there. Mm -hmm. And then you say, "Oh, let's watch a movie together," and you start watching and. You know, 15 minutes later, you realize Charlie's left the room. Like, he's just not interested. <laughs> well, maybe AI will bring him back to film because interactive. I, I wanted to mention, uh, since we've all been involved in, in comedy, I'm thinking of you with Late Night Club. And, but I remember the first time that our director, I want to give props to Mary McCullough, who was uh, a director of Oswald Players, who, who brought us to a level of professionalism, right? And I remember her, her kind of teaching us about uh writing the laughs uh, holding for laughs that was always the phrase hold for the laughs but really what it is is listening to the audience's responses and interacting with the audience's response which in comedy is is the laughter is their energy yeah yeah right, right. yeah 
And do you, I mean, is it, was late night club like, like that for you? It was a, such a learning process. I mean, I, I, you know, am, have been, always am uh, in awe of the great comics and, and just think they're at the pinnacle of art. I love what they do. Um, and, you know, when I was starting to do stuff, I just realized, wow, I've got like a long road of learning. I feel like I'm still relatively at the beginning stages. So yeah, it was always just like a new thing that you would learn. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, the best comedy that you see in terms of like stand up is there's no, they're not jokes typically. I mean, there's a Stephen Wright or mm -hmm. a great comic like that, but most of it, it's, if I were to say that, no one's laughing. It's, it's, it's their understanding of the experience. Yeah. Story, storytelling. Yeah. yeah. And I'm thinking now of Charlie being on set as someone who has that kind of relationship mm -hmm. to the theater. You're sort of an alien on set. You're like, you, you have like a different, in a good way, you have a different <laughs> approach to it all. Like, I'm just thinking now it's very specific and unique and I can't quite pin it down. Does anything there? Uh, well, are you nervous when you come on set? It doesn't seem like it. With you, yeah. well, I love working. I, if I can plug you for a moment, I love. That's why we do this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know the don't pretend you're pretending. I'll never figure out exactly what that means. Right. Don't, uh, don't, pretend, don't pretend you're not, you're not pretending. Don't pretend uh, um, I obviously must be doing something <laughs> right. So. Yeah. Uh, 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 but I also just, you know, there's the honesty. I think more than anything. And maybe that covers everything we're talking about is honesty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that you, you start from a place of trusting what we're doing and assuming that it's worth doing and doing well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. I, do. I, th I think it might help uh, just to mention the 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 role that Charlie. Yeah, played. we can play a, an excerpt if we choose. To, sure. Uh, well, just that he he comes in and he his dog no longer recognizes him, uh, and, and there's not he's lost the emotional connection with his dog. I mean, that, and he's uh, asking the connect the detectives because he suspects his dog has been cloned. Right. He suspects his dog has been cloned. And, uh, it, I mean, it's absurd on the one hand and on the other hand, what a, what a powerful human, uh, thing, mm -hmm. to, uh, the connection we have with our pets, the connection we have with dogs in particular. Right? Mm -hmm. That's funny. And you have a history of deep connections to dogs. Yes. Actually. Yeah. And, uh, ah, I wonder if I thought of that. Uh, but the way you play it, I think, is really. Oh, terrific. I wouldn't have written it if I didn't think you could have put. You were going <laughs> to. I was going to cast you. But the good news is, Percy is definitely not a clone. He's the same dog as always. On that, rest assured. It's all in the report. Well, that's a relief. But I'm all he has in the world. Yet he looks at me with such loneliness sometimes. How do you explain that? It's all in the report. Can't you just tell me? Because you're... Because you're a... You're a clone. Your dog is confused because you're not the man he's always known. It's all in the report. Thanks. 
but your love for Percy is still real. Yeah, great scene. And then you're also in season two. What do you play in season two, John? I am the husband of uh, Sarah's Rudinoff's character. Oh, yes, the uh, Dream Palace. The zombie uh, memory. So why have you come to the detective? And I've come because I can't. I, the line is, I need you to help find my wife. She's standing right you next said to you. you. Don't, we don't do missing persons. <laughs> Maybe she just wandered off somewhere. Well, I doubt that. She's standing right here or whatever the line is. And Sarah is so fabulous. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. She's good. And I can't believe the song that she does also. Yeah. Uh, with this and, and that she's not there because she wandered into her memory palace in search of something and hasn't found and a way out. she just does this song. It's just the most beautiful yeah. version of yeah. the song with the band that's there. It's just fabulous. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's the other. And it's, you know, it's funny. I watch these things again because I haven't watched it in, I don't know how long a year. And, um, and it's funny. It's just funny. And it's ages very well. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, first time around, I don't, maybe I just didn't quite. Well, we, get it. we, uh, we, we talk about, um, enjoying uh in, enjoying it more now that we're forced to watch it for well moment. you were talking about watching yourself yeah because you're in episode four yeah if i'm not mistaken yeah the big uh, checkoff speech and i was kind of remembering back well your your direction to me was to slow down which changed the character considerably but what like yeah it was like night and day change yeah. yeah um and i wasn't even sure i liked the direction or not but i i did it because you're the director um but what i found uh, interesting about watching it again was i stopped evaluating my performance one way or the other whether am i doing good acting or not and i just became intrigued by that character uh, um i don't know if that's anything any other actors experienced or not well just yeah. hearing you say good acting it's such a funny thing about acting that we're always like you're a good actor you're not a good actor like we we don't really even have an understanding of what any of that means mm -hmm. except if you cry on cue i guess then you win an oscar or something <laughs> or yeah it was just 200 pounds to your it frame. Was, yeah it was just i don't know it was just a uh, different to um to and i think well it's really the similar to just being able to enjoy the show but just the same thing like who is that character? What's he up to? He's he's in love with your wife, you know. Your character is yeah. yeah. My, my character's in love with your wife desperately. He desperately in love with your <laughs> wife, and and just kind of I don't know. I just was. Uh, Did you, Charlie, different. act in New City Theater? Didn't you act I in some of the shows? I like in some uh, of the productions, that like a, a, a Sam Shepard play, so maybe a couple Sam Shepard plays. We did a few. I did a few of the directors' festival things, and uh, you know, I'm not. It was never trained, and, uh, and I wouldn't try to pass myself off. And, um, but, uh, but it was, there were certain roles that sort of worked for me and, um, and I gravitated to performing, even though I'm sort of a nervous wreck and even though I don't really have a whole lot of background in it, but somehow gravitated, even in my public life, uh, my professional life, with, uh, you know, you, you title this series, the uncertain artist yeah, or something like yeah. that. And I think, well, what, what, what am I? I'm the uncertain arts administrator. <laughs> Um, and, uh, but I, you know, I gravitated to that role, even though I, it was a lot of it was petrified. I mean, I was very nervous. You'd have to like really had stage fright, defend things in, in yeah. meetings well, and, and in public you know, and... present to boards and present to the council mm, yeah. and, you know, I'm a nervous wreck, mm. but oh, here I, just... I am doing it anyway. And so I, I don't understand that. 
Uh, and you're talking about being a nervous wreck performing as well, right? Was well, that, yeah, was that correct? performing, uh, being uh, nervous, and you know, I was just, yeah, uh, just tracking. Yeah. Well, and I remember uh, some of those Sam Shepard plays from New, yeah. New City Theater, and uh, they were cool. Oh, yeah, yeah great. Time. And especially Mary yeah. uh, Ewald was yeah. chewing up the scenery in a well, good way. Kobe, I, I don't know if you remember Kobe. The Cowboys, we did the Unseen Hand, and we got to play the Three Outlaws, and Carrie so Brown got to walk around you know, with Western gear. and. Mm-hmm. And be cowboys, and uh, oh, it was the best. I just remembered because you were talking about, you know, being in a room. Like, so one time I was a juror for a grant that you were administering, yeah. mm-hmm. and there were maybe six or seven of us artists, all good for you, who were jurors. And you know, you gave us a nice, like, welcoming and be open minded. And we, every artist that came up, we would discuss and. I would make impassioned pleas for one or the other. And there was one guy in the corner who was just quiet the whole time. He was a jazz musician. And I was just like intrigued, like, wow, you're, I wonder what, who you're going to vote for. And then the vote comes up, you know, we could have talked for three days. He was going to vote for the four jazz musicians. <laughs> <laughs> Give these folks some money. <laughs> I loved it, actually. No, it's quite a process. <laughs> the panel, the jury panel process for for the art. art grants yeah so what's one of the biggest obstacles for the kind of arts administrator you both were and aspired to be well the money <laughs> I mean, well, you would always have a pot of money and you had to figure out how to give yeah, it away and the politics uh, talk about that a little what's well it's you know, changed over the decades the politics has it changed i don't know you know we for we promoted the idea of this volunteer commissioner oversight. I mean, all of the art, nonprofit art world is based on this sort of community oversight uh, government, governance. So you have to have a board of directors if you're nonprofit. Um, and of course, for I don't, the private foundation world, you've got boards and for the, for the government agencies, you've got you know, councils that oversee you and commissions that oversee you. And so it's highly, you know, overseen. <laughs> um, and you've also got, you know, tax rules around it and lots of administrative stuff like that. Sounds um, really hard. Accounting. and um, So nobody's saying, hey, kids, let's put on a show. And two days right. later, you have a show. So a lot of people opt out of that. Uh, just reason, you, know, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, I, I would love to see the nonprofit instrument somehow be more flexible. Um, you know that, that back in the day, the NEA actually funded individuals, and that went the, after the culture wars of the NEA. That all went mm. south. Um, NEA is the National Endowment for the Arts. National Endowment. Thank you. Um, so, you know, I just think that we're our own worst enemy in a lot of ways. There were many a day when I would be, I was a bicycle commuter, and many a day I'd be bicycling home from work wondering if this was the best way to do it or if the commission oversight model was really the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and are we getting in our own way? Um, I, I wouldn't say it should be anarchy and total chaos and we should just be dropping the money out of airplanes, but I think that... Um, we do discourage some of our best talent um, and cut ourselves short. 
when you're talking about the struggles of nonprofits, I was, oh, I'm sure you've worked with, with Shun Pike. Uh, right. That, yes. that seemed like a, a godsend as an opportunity for, for artists, right? Well, it, uh, that was, and there's another one in New York. Uh, what's it called? It's top of my head. Create? No. Excellent. What is Shun Pike? Well, Shun Pike serves... Um, it's an art service organization. An artist can apply as a, with a, under their umbrella as a nonprofit. Oh. Uh, this stuff's all beginning to fade. Yeah, isn't that, that interesting? For me? Right? Like mean, you're, uh, it, you're, it's a way that the artist doesn't have to go from the ground up. Like what's a CP three O or whatever the thing is called? Five O one C three. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They can uh, go under the Sean Pike umbrella. I mean, it's it's a it's a game changer. I remember when I heard about it. I thought, wow, I wish we had that when when we were right uh, active. Um, no, that that can help. Uh, but again, it's still another layer. Yeah, of, yeah, uh, sure. Okay. Well, we uh, every week get a question. Which Great. is a question from an audience member, and Gravy reads it out loud into her mic that barely works. <laughs> we'll see. Okay, so Joseph from Seattle, Washington. Um, your question. <laughs> I guess. Oh, are you Joseph? Hi. Um, <laughs> a very unique name. Um, wants to know what art have you seen recently that you would recommend um, others to see? Well, assuming that doesn't mean what books I've recently read <laughs> or music I might have heard, I uh, uh, I do spend a good fair amount of time now in the New York City area with uh, visiting my family there and just got back actually uh, and saw while we were there. So I can talk about that because yeah. I saw an exhibit at the Neue House, I believe it's called. Um, which uh, was an exhibit of Max uh, Beckman uh, paintings, who I was not all that familiar. I knew a little bit, I recognized the Beckman painting, but this was a number of them in large scale. And uh, a certain period of time during the war years that he painted, and it was just astounding. And, and painting to me is interesting because painting is something, it's the one art form that is not time-based time ultimately i mean you look at it boom there it is but of course you can then you can take your time and look at it so um and then uh edward hopper was also some edward hoppers were around and he's pretty fabulous too so standing in the gallery looking at the max beckman i mean that one of i'm feeling the excitement just imagining you there part of that has to be that this art that's not time-based is being experienced in a time-based manner like you're you're human time's passing you're right. in the room with the art there's something right. about being in the room with the painting it's not just that a reproduction doesn't capture all that obvious there's just something about being in the room in there yes and it can't be duplicated, can't be duplicated. Uh, yeah it's theatrical in that way right it is that's mm. absolutely true uh, there was ultimately also a uh, the Lower East Side of Manhattan, which has I used to live on the Lower East Side yeah, of Manhattan. Back when it, it was, was not where you not <laughs> the safest place. That was a desert, uh, and it is hopping. You know, that is where it's happening right now. Mm. Uh, and there's a, a a performance 
I think it's called Performance Space or something like that. And this was a show up on the fourth floor, and I think it was Mabu Mines, maybe uh, related, produced. But it was—they're still doing work. Well, I—I I, I didn't, okay. didn't know Keep exactly going. who was what, but we, my daughter took me to it, and it was a couple that was doing a again with some audience interaction. But what they were doing was lamenting a theater space that had been mm. uh, somewhere else. And, and they didn't tell you where it was, but uh, illegal. They referred to it as illegal in 49 seat. And they were doing sort of a eulogy. The show was not a long show, maybe an hour long, but it was a eulogy for this space that had obviously closed at some point. And at the end, he did a wonderful little bit of... Uh, little moments from this theater. Oh. He he managed it. I think he managed it. I think he lived there. Um, and he's just this scruffy theater artist, you know, still, I don't know how old he was. But he did this wonderful uh, series of moments that he remembers from that space when it was operating. Mm, and, and, and it was quite touching, and it re really came close to home for me. Having There's something about... Nostalgia, remembrance of the past, how it used to be in live theater. That's so distinctly different from when that is built into a, a film. Chekhov is the, the greatest at it. All his stuff is is moored in that. And he saw it as comic. And there is this comic element of someone who's right there in front of us alive I'm, I'm riffing out loud, yeah. uh, you know, talking about stuff from the past. It's all over Samuel Beckett. And, and uh, you put that on film, it doesn't have nearly, mm -hmm. it doesn't have at all the same impact. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This sounds really yeah. cool. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I think uh, I think getting at that difference, that critical difference between live and taped is uh, a very mm. interesting area to I see. That seems to be a real theme. I mean, I was thinking about the different variations of this. Like, uh, now we have this thing, I'm I'm going to meet a writer tomorrow, possibly uh, to be, be a client, but it's Zoom or in person. Yeah, Zoom and, and, is, and I was going to just say Zoom. And, and I realize I want to meet this person yeah. in person, right? And I was thinking when you were talking about being in the, are, are you kind of in the room with Max Beckman, the person? Yeah. Isn't that kind yeah. of what the, the gallery experience well, was? Well, it's just, it's mysterious. Yeah. What it is. Yeah. Who knows what you're in the room with? I mean, right. I don't mind the Zoom thing at all. Like this morning I met with Mary, who plays Mary in the show. Mm -hmm. We went through the scene and uh, we, we hadn't spoken for a while. So we caught up and we read through the scene. We made it better. Yeah. And, uh, well, actually, it went worked. as well as could work, it, you know. <laughs> it, it also works in terms of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, uh, yeah, both that and your brother, you know, yeah. it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, right. I didn't even get it. Like my show, though, I'm always on Zoom with people. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, it's a cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool little thing about the show that the way that it shows that aspect and it does work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's funny. All right. Well, as always, these go so fast that um, we that never get to where <laughs> I do feel like a dentist at times. Um, I'm glad it was painless. Thanks so much, Charlie, for being here. Thank you, guys. I'm honored Thank to you. be a part of this. Yeah. With both thanks, of you. So uh, thank you. Thanks to you, Gravy. Please join us next time for another episode of The Uncertain Artist. Also, save the date. 
Season 3 of The Uncertain Detective will premiere February 26th at 7pm at the SIF Film Center, right next door to Climate Pledge Arena, and perhaps you'll be there to witness. We'll follow the screening with a live taping of this podcast, so come join us. Tickets are free and can be reserved through the Seattle International Film Festival website. We hope to see you there.